Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. During a series of adrenaline-fueled one-night gigs, itinerant punk metal drummer Ruben begins to experience intermittent hearing loss. When a specialist tells him his condition will rapidly worsen, he thinks his music career is over, and with it, his life is over. His bandmate and girlfriend, Lou, checks the recovering heroin addict into a secluded sober house for the deaf in hopes to prevent a relapse and help him learn to adapt to a new situation. The film is called The Sound of Metal, and it is a remarkable film on so many different levels, and we're fortunate to have with us the uh, director as well as the writer, and that would be Darius Martyr. Darius, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much. This film is just the complete package. The look of it is wonderful. The cinematography, uh, the the sound, the sound design, which is so critically important to someone who's who's dealing with the, the, the circumstances that Ruben is with hearing loss, and as well as the acting. Riz Ahmed is, uh, is fantastic. Tell me a little bit about where the material came from. Where did the story originate? It has such a, a long lineage. It's actually decades old at this point. You know, it began... Um, first as a documentary that my dear friend and, and creative partner in many ways, Derek C in France was shooting. He was shooting a metal band called Jucifer. And Jucifer is this uh, couple that they're still playing and they kind of endlessly tour. And at the time, I think Derek, Derek, first of all, was really drawn to metal and the music and drawn to this concept of this like endless American dream and how hard we might fight for that. Um, but I came, I met Derek 13 years ago and he was shooting this doc and we, we started talking about it. And it was, and at that time there was this talk of an introducing this fictional element of deafness to it because the character, the, the real guy, um, what the drummer was experiencing some tinnitus. So it was this, it was, that was sparked by a real physical, uh, occurrence. And, I was editing the footage a lot and playing with this footage and I got incredibly inspired by this, uh, this cinematic potential. I mean, totally lit up, but oh my God, it just kind of blew my mind up. And I knew I wanted to write it. And that, that became, and when it became clear and Derek and I, even when we were talking about Place Beyond the Pines, I was saying, we got to write this, 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 you know, and so, and, but Derek knew he wasn't going to make that at one point. And, and I knew I wasn't going to make it in the form he was making it. I needed to write it. And so it, that writing process began about 10 years ago. And then eventually that I could joined with my brother, Abraham, and we worked on it together. And that was a couple of years in, but that became wonderful and uh, quite an odyssey though. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it. Well, in terms of, of these two characters, um, Lou, played by Olivia Cook, and then Ruben is played by Riz Ahmed. This whole film, the characters are so grounded. I think that's the thing that really pulls me into the film is how completely present they are in their own relationship and how how they're honest with each other. And, and uh, there's some things in the film about uh, drug addiction. Uh, Ruben's been dealing with that and how it just feels like these are people who are who are in the process of working through a lot of things, and not only individually but together. 
Yeah. And well, exactly together, you know, and that's what, and that, that becomes a foil unto itself because there is a codependent element of that. So, you know, the, they, they are together and maybe two together. <laughs> that's the issue, you know? So when that togetherness is challenged, the question is, is what are they? Yeah. Well, there comes a point uh, fairly early in the film where we, we see Reuben begin to experience what I described in the, in the opening, which is this hearing loss, this loss of, and how, as anyone would be, not willing to believe that it's happening. And then over the course of just a few days, he realizes that this is happening. And then Lou's reaction to it is, is immediately the right advice. Again, they've been through a lot together. She knows. She knows. Exactly. And I think she also knows that if he continues in this sort of denial phase, that his his other his addictions could come rapidly and back into his life. So it's it's this genuine concern, this genuine love that, again, these characters are just completely relatable and wonderful to kind of spend time with. Um, And so this is I guess this is the casting question, right? pulling uh, these two people together, uh, Olivia Cook, who I have not seen a lot of before, and then Riz Ahmed. Olivia's so great, isn't she? I mean, she's... Yeah. Well, all right. The casting of this movie, I mean, there's a lot there in what you were just saying, and I and I yeah. love all of it. I think it's super interesting. And and first of all, just on a, a pure character level, like that, that feeling of she does this thing because she knows. I'm very interested as a writer, as a creator, my brother and I talk a lot about this, I love that thing in film when things are not explicitly spoken, but you see into the context. And, and I, I really work hard on that to, to express a, a volume of language with almost no language at all and how you can do that. Because I think that we, our brains are really quite highly tuned, in fact. And when a film gives us that veracity and that ability and, and, uh, and doesn't just tell us everything, we sometimes see way more than it could tell. So that's a lot in there, you know, in that you know, Olivia knows everything. I mean, Lou knows everything. And because she knows everything, we believe it. Because remember, in this movie, you have to believe in the, the addiction without ever seeing the drug. Right. Right. And so that has to be done very deftly. And that was that was very difficult to that was very hard to calibrate, because how do you grasp the gravity of a situation without actually using? Because if you use, it's over. The whole story is over. You know, he's never getting. And the whole point is, is that if Ruben, if he uses, it's done. Yeah. No. And I, you know, I was actually inspired and and you know, sad to say by Philip Seymour Hoffman's moment, which, you know, he had that moment and that, that happened while we were working on this and it did have something to do. It did end up in the script to a degree. I think that it's so fascinating what you just said, because what you're describing in, in our everyday life, people we know and love and care about, it's the nonverbal cues. It's the things that they're acting out about or that they're not saying yeah. And that how that dovetails into what we're talking about, a man who's losing the ability to hear and now must figure out another way, another language, another mode of communication. But it's it, it's critically important to understanding their relationship, Lou and Rubens. So yes. I, in I, a very short period of time. Yeah. You get this like whole context right. in a 
very efficiently. I mean, our first cut was three and a half, four hours. You know, we had a lot we were working with, but ultimately it was incredibly efficient, you know, and you, you, you know, very, through very efficient language, you know, that Ruben gets up and gets her going and gets the day started. And, you know, you know, all that stuff and the, and the healthy smoothie and the, all of the, the band-aids and all of the things that we have built into all of our relationships that when that dom one domino is removed, you know, what happens, you know, when one part of the house of cards is removed, uh, what happens? And that's what codependence is all about, you know, and they're both obviously strong characters They're strong people. Right. But what was particularly striking is how well you were able to manage Ruben's transition in a very believable way. And this is in no small part due to Riz Ahmed's performance. In every single scene, he stays in this sort of, I'll call it a zone. I'll call it, you can call it staying in a, in a sort of character's pattern of behavior that he plays out beautifully. He's just so nuanced. He has expressive eyes. He has a beautiful way of conveying things. But he also, his character, while obviously devastated by what's happened, is also keenly aware of his surroundings, keenly aware of what is in front of him that he has to do. Is exactly. That and, and sometimes you can see that he has to do something that you don't even understand. Right. You, know, you, you might, you know, you, you see that he has this drive and you're going, what, what, but, but he has it, it's in there. And I think, you know, building a character, I mean, Riz is an astoundingly talented actor. He's, he's, his talent is boundless. Uh, truly, he's one of the great gifted actors of our time. But he took on this role he built, and this is kind of what I really encouraged for him. And this is what he got really excited about when we first met, to his credit, um, where a lot of actors got scared and couldn't look at it or deal with it. The idea is to build a foundation that's so rock solid for this character that it can't be broken, that it doesn't need to be reinvented every day. You build it and it's there, and then you can play on it. Then you can start to trust your instincts yeah. with it. Yeah. And that's, so when you say you looked into his eyes, you're looking into Ruben's eyes. You're not looking into Riz's eyes. You're looking into Ruben's eyes and you know it as a viewer. And I think that's what you're talking about. You, you know you're looking into that guy, that guy that was an army brat and a foster child and was in Texas and then he was in Arizona and what that stepfather did to him and all those things that he did to build that character, let alone learning the drums, were, were, are present in every moment. So that's the degree of work that, that, that Riz put in to get to that place where you, where you believe in his eyes. Yeah. We're speaking with uh, Darius Martyr. He is the director of uh, the film Sound of Metal, and it will be coming out in theaters on November 20th. Uh, be looking for it there as well as it will be available on Amazon Prime uh, beginning on December 4th. Going back to uh, Riz Ahmed's performance, and this the way you shot him. You shot him a lot of close-ups. You, this is where I think your documentary background really kind of feels like it plays into it. You're right in his up in his face a lot in the, the shooting. So when he walks into a room, particularly when he's first getting uh, sort of adapted to this new environment of living in a facility for deaf people who are drug or drug addicts or dealing with addiction, mm -hmm. 
you shoot him so that it, you see his eyes kind of dart around the room. You watch him kind of take in the environment immediately so that he's kind of doing a threat assessment as he walks into these into these different places, including meeting Joe. There's sort of this sense of um, anticipation of, of him understanding his environment and, and, and then processing it and then being very rational about the way he deals with it from, I, I just, is this sound? Well, that's exactly right. And it's connected to what we were just talking about. You learn a whole context about him because of his reaction to Joe. You know that, that, that Ruben's already been in rehab, you know, he's already yeah. been, he's already dealt with whether it was NA or AA, he's already been there. So, uh, and you get that and that's implicit in the language. You're absolutely right. And that was the point is that you're getting that whole context of him without it ever having to be spoken. Otherwise he'd be like, well, what do, what's this mean? Or what do we do? No, he knows, he knows, he gets it. It's just with deaf people. It's, yeah. That's the only difference. That's that whole thing where you can see that world of someone's truth. Yeah. Uh, well, let me, let me ask you, but there's a couple of things in the production of it. And after all, after all this show is called Film School Radio. So I want to talk a little all bit. Right, bring about it on. You want to geek out. All right, bring it on. I want to geek out a, a little, not too much. But I do want to talk about uh, this background you have in documentary filmmaking. It, it, where did that come into the, you know, sort of the production part of this? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I, my first feature was a doc that I shot and it was, and I'm not a shooter. I mean, I shot, I shoot a lot, but you know, Danielle Bouquet is a D, is a cinematographer. He's an artist with a camera in a way that I don't profess to be. I've just shot a lot and I certainly have a sensitivity to it, but I, that was the first film I, I directed. Um, but my, you know, my sense for myself, I think I've been writing forever and always been thinking on, on a fictional level in terms of narrative. And as a matter of fact, I don't break, I don't separate docs as non-narrative. I don't know why we do that. Docs are entirely narrative, you know, fiction versus, versus documentary. But I think that Danielle, what I, what I learned shooting docs was really interesting because, you know, in my, in that doc in loot, you know, I shot about 500 hours. And what I learned is that the camera is this direct conduit to people's um, your, we call them maybe our subjects, but whoever we're shooting, right. It's like, it's therapy. Essentially, when you hold a camera up to something, you're seeing them in a way that has such a high degree of intentionality that it's, it's, it's completely powerful. And if you are holding up a camera and you don't have that empathy within you, just like if a therapist was looking at you and they didn't have that empathy, you wouldn't give to that camera. And I learned that. I, I learned that in a very profound way, shooting, uh, deeply magical way, in fact, over many, many, many years. And not just in that project, but just shooting, shooting, shooting. One of the things I found in Danielle is that Danielle Bouquet, who shot, you know, we shot on 35 and that's rare enough, but that, but it, and 35 in its, just on, unto itself is, is a declaration. So when you're rolling, you're rolling. This is not, this is not digital that can go on all day. This is film and it's not, and it's finite. And I think when you do that, you raise the energy of the entire set. You raise the energy of your actors, all the crew, everyone's like, oh, we're rolling this actually means something. So there's that. Danielle is such an artist. And what I noticed with him right away is that his quality, you know, we fought hard with the union to have Danielle is always holding the camera. There's no one other, you know, cause we all know how that works. Usually you're supposed to have other people actually holding the camera you have to kind of petition 
to have the actual DP holding the camera. So Danielle's always holding the camera because it was incredibly important. He has such an empathic nature, such a sensitive eye. This man truly is, he's very gifted. And that has everything to do with how the actors feel and the energy that that's then created in front of the camera. And, you know, I was very diligent in making sure all of my keys are storytellers with that kind of sensitivity so that it was, we were almost surrounding the production with us with storytellers, not right. just with technicians. We're down on, on our time here a little bit. So I'm going to ask you about the sound and how important the sound design and, and how that dovetails with the, with the content of the film man dealing with, with deafness and how you were able to create this entire sort of world and language around that. It was so audacious really. And, you know, it took years and years and it was so exciting to envision this sound, uh, to think about it ahead of time and to kind of wonder if we could pull this off. And then as you know, it really started years before shooting. And in fact, I met Dan, I met um, Nicola Becker, who's a sound designer bef well before shooting. And then I brought him and Danielle together to discuss how sound and picture mix. And then Nicola came to set and we, you know, the whole sound experience on set was utterly different than usual. We were filming, we were miking underwater and down throats and eyelids and in the mouth and contact mics and multi-directional mics and condenser mics. So it was a whole different experience. And then the, the actual editing process couldn't just be editing. And I was very lucky to have found this outstanding editor, Mikkel, who is so highly tuned in terms of sound. So we were able to, you have to edit sound and picture at the same time, which people don't usually do. So you have to for this because that's the language. And otherwise you don't really know what you have. So I was actually simultaneously working with Nicola in Paris while you know, Mick was there and I would go back and forth to, to actually do sound design concurrently. And then that's all before a 23 week sound mix that we did on this film. 23 weeks in Mexico, we actually went to Carlos Regales's uh, incredible sound um, compound called Splendor Omnia. and. The reason we did that is Carlos Regalas is an incredible filmmaker, but his movies for anyone who, who, who has the um, good fortune to see them are, are so sonically beautiful, but not because they have car crashes and all the rest of it in there. They're just incredible sonic pieces of art. And so we went there so we could be not distracted by anything. And it was literally just sound, wow. 23 weeks. Wow. Well, this is my last comment. And we'll, um, and that is, I love the scene on the slide with the kid. I just, in terms of a lot of the things you're talking about here, I felt that not only was it the sound, but it was the communication between them. It was everything it, in so many ways. It just, it's a beautiful, small scene, but a beautiful one in the film. Thank you. Yeah, uh, me, me too. I'm quite fond of that scene. Well, I want to I want to thank you for Sound of Metal. <laughs> it's a fantastic Aww. film, and I'm going to remind our listeners that uh, Darius Martyr is the director and writer of the film, and it will be in theaters on November 20th. So it's coming right up, as well as on Prime Video, starting on starting on December 4th. So be looking for it anytime you got some. This is an amazing film. Come back anytime, Darius. Thank you so very much for your time yeah, here today. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music